Yes, it's the place to be for all things franchising. Delighted you're here again. Uh, welcome to everybody. Today's topic is how to build a business that makes a dent. The entrepreneurial journey explained. And we've got the ideal person here to do that because, believe me, um, Mike Clark makes a dent and he's been through an exciting and amazing entrepreneurial journey and continues to take other people with him. Um, as you know, at Franchise Simply, we're committed to ensuring you're informed about all relevant topics about business and entrepreneurialism and franchising. So um, this is particularly fits beautifully into that mold, in fact, across all, this, all the spectrum. So um, I'm pretty excited. Um, Mike is a traveler. Um, he's got a, an amazing background. To pin him down is not easy. Um, and I uh, caught up with him several months ago and we, we've ended up today having a chat. So uh, make sure you've got a pen and paper there because I'm sure you want to make lots of notes. And we'll give you some references as well of various things. And just a reminder for our Franchise Simply members that this Franchise Radio show will be available with our other 90-odd in our members' vault within a matter of days. Um, so Michael Clark. Michael, for the past 15 years, has been highly entrenched in entrepreneurial businesses across the globe, literally. He's successfully and repeatedly taken six- and seven-figure companies to seven and eight-figure revenues, significant there. Um, and after launching Dent Global in the UK some 11 years ago, Mike created the world's first certified LinkedIn training company where he, he scaled the business to 25 trainers that delivered organization-wide training rollouts for multi-billion dollar brands such as, and get this, Barclays Bank, Canon, American Express, Deloitte, and Accenture. So um, he was one of those very fortunate people whose business was then acquired in 2015 by a Silicon Valley startup. So what did he, what did he, what did he do next? <laughs> he, uh, um, he's now um, on the leadership team of Dent Global. Uh, we'll learn more about them shortly, where he coaches, consults, advises companies and their leaders on how to get on in the inner circle of industry um, and how to get across their, I suppose, their most passionate aspects about, about business and so forth and how to become highly valued and highly paid. So, Mike, lovely to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you, Brian. It's, uh, that's a, a fantastic introduction. I feel, um, I was wondering if you were talking about me at one point, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> were, there, were there any pertinent points that I overlooked there or you think? No, 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 no. That's a, very, okay. that's a very good summary, but thank you very much for that. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's not often you get to hear that repeated back to you. So, you know, so. It's, uh... <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure. What I'm going to do is try and pick your brains. And, and okay. please, Mike, I mean, I know you've got a really entrepreneurial mind. Um, so if you feel that something pops up that you'd like to add to or, or whatever, um, please feel free. We're here to, to, to really to tap into your brain and uh, get as much as we can out of this session. So can, can you share your learnings about uh, I suppose, how to build a business that makes a dent, what, what you've called, I believe, the entrepreneur journey? Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on the, the podcast here, Brian. It's been great to get to know you. And, uh, you know, if you've got any questions afterwards, feel free to get in touch with anybody. And I usually like to present where I'm very interactive. So, you know, we'll have this conversation. But if there's any questions popping up, feel free to get in touch and follow up with me afterwards. Um, but in terms of building a business that makes a dent, I think that the... The background to, to this is that uh, my journey when I started in business 15 years ago, we, uh, we were uh, an organization that were doing promotions and marketing, and we used to show companies how to transition from selling one-to-one -to, -one 
and, and like one-to-one sales environment to one-to-many. So selling from stage and, and running events where you can communicate the same message instead of to one person, but to, you know, to up to uh, large events or up to a couple thousand people. But typically they're about 50 to, to a few hundred people. And, um, and I think the thing that united all the, the guys who were in, in the business at the time, which is Daniel Priestley and Glenn Carlson and myself, plus others, was that we were very passionate about a learning information that made a difference to our lives and then sharing that with others. But then B, uh, we came across an organization that was also at the time at the forefront. This is back in 2005, 2004, 2005. Um, I came across an organization that was then very, uh, was talking about social entrepreneurship and making an impact in that giving away 10% of your profits for, for social enterprise. And this was before it became mainstream. And we, we were really passionate about that cause because we just felt that the, we felt very privileged to be, to be brought up in a country with a lot of opportunities like Australia, where, you know, literally we've won the human lottery just by, by living here. Um, and I've grown to appreciate that because, as you said before, I've grown businesses around the world, but I've also traveled to, before I started my business, I backpacked to about 25 different countries through the Middle East and through some, some desolate parts of the world. And I got a, great, gave, got a really good appreciation just, just for just how fortunate I was in this in, uh, to, be, to have the opportunities that I had just by being born in, in the country of Australia. And so I think one of the things that united us at the time was something that was, you know, making an impact and making a difference. And, and so that was something which, which we've continued to, to the philosophy of DENT, our organization, which is best known for the key person of influence methodology. Um, and essentially it's a five-step proven method to take people, show them how they can stand out in their industry. And, and essentially, um, you know, the, the DENT team has gone on, when I've built up the business in, in Europe, the LinkedIn training business, I then went on to, uh, or the, the DENT organization has continued down that line of making a DENT. And that's what the name DENT stands for. Actually, the, the Steve Jobs quote is that entrepreneurs are here to make a DENT in the universe. And, uh, and, sen- and essentially through those sort of the last 15 years, I think we've had, and I have had, uh, you know, I say we as in, in our organization, but myself personally, been, uh, been very fortunate to come across thousands and thousands of businesses and at all shapes and sizes, you know, businesses that are pre-startup through to startup through to businesses that have scaled and, you know, grown their businesses across the world. They've got, you know, north of 500 staff. Um, and so what we've seen over the entire period of time, Brian, is that there's, uh, businesses, business can be a lonely game. And if you, a lot of people get into, uh, into business after sort of stepping away from a job. So their networks and their communities of people around them are often people who uh, haven't got that entrepreneurial understanding, if we will. And the game of being employed versus a game of entrepreneurship are two different games. One's like football, the other's like basketball. You know, you pick up the, you pick up the ball <laughs> with your hands in one sport and bounce it around, it's okay. The other sport, you get penalized. So you've really got to understand there's different rules of the game. But if you, if you don't hang around entrepreneurs a lot of the time, then what happens is you, you can think that if you talk to your em- employee friends that, you know, business can be quite lonely because when you talk to them about the problems you're going through, it seems a bit, you know, dis- distant and they, they can't really resonate with it because it's a completely different sport. So, um, so basically, you know, Daniel Priestley in his infinite wisdom around things has sort of mapped out the entrepreneur's journey 
um, you know, because he particularly has been at the epicenter of this whilst I stepped away from the Dent organization that for about seven years or so, he was sort of in the thick of it building these businesses out. And he just, he'd mapped out that there's various stages from um, startup phase of business, which is, you know, really sort of designed for, for people who are, have got a lot of passion and enthusiasm. They either get into business because they're technically brilliant at something or they, uh, you know, they're frustrated that something's not in the marketplace, uh, which I'm sure, which is where a lot of your franchisees have started from too, Brian. You know, absolutely. Like, you know, they've sort of they've recognised as a niche, or there's an opportunity that's not being done. But the thing is, if you're not clear in terms of how to build out a business, and if you've not done it before, you move into the wilderness phase, which is the next stage of business, which is where essentially uh, 80% of businesses reside, and it's why about to 40 uh, 40% of businesses fail within the first few years because they, they haven't ran a business before. So they, there's a lot of other things they need to take on board. Um, and often they, they um, we call it the wilderness because it's almost like they're out in the wilderness and they, they've got like a berry bush that they're trying to, uh, you know, that's feeding them the, you know, the, the source of revenue or cash flow. And, you know, they're, they're sort of just struggling to keep their head above water um, with, with it because they've got so many other things that they haven't considered with the running of a business because they haven't done it before. Um, and it can become a confusing place in business where you, a lot of the time you end up being seen as a commodity where you compete on price as opposed to decommoditizing yourself where you're competing on value. Um, and so the way you get out of the wilderness is you need to then really go back to basics, focus in on a, what we call a micro niche, understand the, the problems of your, of your micro niche and then figure out the impact of those problems and create an ideal outcome or solution for them, which really resonates strongly with them. It's like an idea that you sell them, um, which would solve their problems. And when you start doing that, you then start to move to the next stage of business where you wrap influence around it. And so uh, the wilderness business is sort of one to three people business uh, in size, typically less than 500,000 people. Um, but when you start to get a few people on board, you can move into what we call a lifestyle business. It's either a struggling lifestyle business, which is where um, the, a lot of the value that's exchanged in the business is actually delivered by individuals and humans as opposed to through assets. And, you know, you, you guys know this better than, than most businesses, Brian. I mean, you know, the E-Myth, the classic book, the E-Myth, which I remember reading back in the day, um, you know, about creating systems and processes. And, you know, the way our language for using that in terms of how you franchise your businesses, and I'm sure how you help your clients, is that you get a lot of the knowledge that's out of their head and then you put it into procedures and uh, pro uh, processes, compliancy, you put it into structures so that other people can understand how to exchange that value without your time needed to be exchanged. Um, and that's really how you get yourself from being a, a struggling lifestyle boutique business whereby there's very low revenue per person. Um, and that's why revenue per person is a key indicator in that uh, it, it, it's really a clear indicator that the, the value is exchanged through individuals as opposed to processes, systems, and what we call assets. And the way that you actually move to where you, where you have a lifestyle business, like a lifestyle boutique business, is where you actually understand what makes you unique and different. What is that, what we call like your X factor? Um, and when you start to uh, unpack your X factor to your micro niche in the form of different digital assets and content. So digital assets would be things like, you know, reports, blogs, uh, could be books, it could be, um, you know, videos, it could be uh, digital things such as scorecards, health checks, analysis, that sort of stuff. But also it could be in, you know, more, more related to, to what you do, Brian, is, you know, systems, processes and procedures, you know, to make sure that people can really unlock that value um, without people, other people needing to train them on it. Um, 
so that's sort of where you go to with that next stage. And then from, from a lifestyle boutique business, which is typically is doing north of $200,000 revenue per person. Um, that's a key indicator. So what I mean by that is if you have five people in your team, um, five, four, five full-time equivalents, whether they're contractors or whether they're employees, doesn't matter. It's the amount of full-time people would be equated in the business. If you've got north of $200,000 revenue, it means that you've got enough money to pay the individual and you've got enough money to reinvest back into building out more systems and processes. So if you did want to go through something like franchising your business, then you've got the ability to have the additional cash flow to reinvest back into the business to build out further assets. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure you've seen it as well, Brian, that you've got clients and then people who are looking at franchising, but the revenue per person, there's very small margins in the business. And when there's very small margins, it's really hard for them to find the extra funding to be able to reinvest back in to build out the systems and infrastructure of the business. Um, and essentially that's, what's really important to do because the, the next phase of business is what we call the desert. And you've got to have high revenue per person because a lot of times once you start scaling your business beyond 12 people, there's a change of culture. You need to have a different level of infrastructure. You need to have a different level of, um, uh, of systems and processes, communication channels. But also then you start getting to things like HR procedures and manuals and compliancy, which I know is a big thing you guys help clients with. Um, and, you know, and also you need other things such as um, you know, the uh, capital to expand operations into another area. So if your revenue per person is low, it means that you don't have the ex excess cash to invest in those areas. But if your revenue per person is north of 200,000, you've typically got enough cash flow to be able to expand that. And, and then basically you go through the desert period where a lot of, we call it the desert because a lot of businesses run out of cash when they're trying to scale and that's where they get in trouble. But if you go through that, biz, that, that phase successfully, you typically end up in a place where you, you end up getting about 50 employees. You've got the right levels of management in place and you grow to what we call a performance business. And a performance business is one whereby uh, it's, it's doing, you're doing north of uh, 15 million. You do, you've got north of 50 people in the business and your revenue per person, because you, you've got the infrastructure in place, your revenue per person really starts to jump up and it starts to go from two, a couple hundred thousand to 300,000 to 400,000 to north of that. So I know people who've got businesses that have got, you know, um, 200 people in their business as an example, and they've got north of uh, 400,000 turnover in their business per person. And that's a very wow. profitable, very lucrative business. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and the business beyond that, performance business is a unicorn business, which goes north of, you know, 50 million in, in Silicon Valley language. You know, it's more like a, a unicorn business is a, a billion-dollar business. But in most, I think most people's reality of business, if you're doing north of 50 million, you've got a very successful humming business. <laughs> assuming you've got the right infrastructure and there's high revenue per person in place. Out of interest, Brian, do you know how much uh, revenue per person Apple has? It'd be staggering. Their margins are extraordinary. They make 23% net profit, I think. Yeah. I, I, I suspect it's probably a million, million per person or something stupid. Well, yeah, 1.5. Is it really? Yeah, 1.5. Wow. Facebook is north of 2 million. Um, you know, so when you get to those economies of scale, you also get the, you, you get the economies of, ca of scale kicking in at that level as well. Um, but that's a really important indicator of success to measure the impact of your business. And you've got a really great, even if you don't want to build a performance business, if it's just a lifestyle business, you've got three or four, five, six people in your business. If you just measure that, if you're doing north of 200,000, you're able to have enough uh, um, impact. You talk about making a dent. You have enough impact to basically reinvest back in the business, pull out some good cash for you as the owner, but also you can then start to 
have more time freed up and you can actually start to allocate your resources, whether that's time or money, to actually other causes around the world and align your business. That's what we're big about, is about aligning your business to, um, to different causes around the world so that every time somebody interacts with your business, you actually make a positive impact in the world as well somewhere else. Um, there's a great organization called buy one, give one, which we align to. It's about micro giving impacts. And it's, if you, if you build that into the DNA of your business so that every time people are interacting with your business, you're actually making a micro contribution. That's another great way to make a dent with your business. And, and, uh, so you can make stand for being a business for good. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. Th thank you. That's, that's brilliant. And, and that, that KPI there of turnover per, uh, per employee, per team member is, uh, I think, an invaluable one. I've done some quick sums here. <laughs> okay. So, yep. uh, um, yeah, and I think well, look, we all have to ignore the digital space where you've got these humongous companies yeah. that dominate the world. Yeah. And uh, But there are plenty of others out there in everyone's different industry and sector that I think you can, you can certainly put a bit of a finger on. It's not difficult to find some of those figures out, really. Um, yeah. They're public companies. Okay. Um, yeah. so, th so thanks for the mention there about, about the, um, uh, you know, the, the causes and so forth that you support. Um, our listeners would know that it's an area I'm passionate about. And in fact, uh, quite closely aligned to, to B1G1. And we've got our own charity yeah. created Prue and I Microlone Foundation. So it's something that um, we, we, we follow that principle, I suppose. And, and that's where I met Glenn. And yourself, indeed, was at a B1G1 um, yeah, exactly. uh, conference. Uh, gee, they're the place to be, I must say. So um, if I can drift on to a few other points here. Please, um, and It may be that I'm, you've already picked up on these, so um, if so, yeah. let me know. So you talk about entrepreneurial gravity. Now, yeah. that's an interesting term. When I saw that, I thought, hmm, I wonder what that really means. So can you expand on that for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting concept because you think obviously the, we all understand the concept of gravity and the, if we relate to it as an entrepreneurship is that um, if, if you as a listener tuning in, think, consider this question, what, why are you in business? You know, what is the purpose of a business? And I often ask this in the training session, Brian, and uh, people come with a range of answers, but the only reason a business exists is because it solves a problem. You know, if you don't have a problem, you don't have a need, you don't have a desire, you don't have a want. So everything stems back to having a problem. And so a business exists because it's solving some form of a problem. So the whole premise of being an entrepreneur in the first place is that you are taking on board the, mark, the, the problems of a marketplace. And so, the, so it can feel like you've got a, a weight of a weight of the world sometimes on your shoulders. And so, particularly then, if you're in that wilderness phase of business, so you've come out of startup phase. In a startup phase, you're thinking like, oh, "I'm going to get into business because I'm passionate about this," or "Screw this person," or "Screw the fact that this isn't in the marketplace. Let's go to market with it." Um, you think I'm going to have more time, more money, less stress. <laughs> <laughs> that's the joke. The real world. Yeah, that's the joke for people who who, uh, who haven't been in business yet. And then all of a sudden, you, you, of those that have been in business, I should say. But then, um, so then you get into the uh, wilderness stage of business. If you're not careful, you don't have to go through the wilderness phase of business. It's not a rite of passage. But if you're not careful, you'll go to, to the space where you are solving the weight of, a, of a, the problems of a marketplace. But if you're not clear in terms of who your marketplace is. Okay, and you end up serving multiple markets because you need to take cash from anywhere, as an example, then what happens is you take on board the, the problem solving and the weight of multiple markets. Mm. 
Okay. So the weight of or the gravity that's applied to you is multiplied. And then on top of that, if you take on board a, a member of staff or even if it's a contractor, okay, then you've got to train them up. And then the thing is, is in the early stages of a business, typically if it's a service-based business, but not, not exclusively, definitely if it's a, it works the same for product, but we work particularly with, with uh, service-based businesses, is that um, you know, your time and your ability to, to, that you invest into finding solutions for a marketplace is what your product is. That's what you're putting your time into. And so if you, you start to become incredibly inefficient which means that you lose a lot of your time and focus and energy and attention if you start to try and solve multiple problems as opposed to honing in to solve the one problem of your marketplace um, or the one main problem of your marketplace. And so basically the whole idea of, of the entrepreneurial gravity is that it can feel like you're carrying the weight of the world because it is, you're carrying the weight of the market, you're solving that problem. And then as you grow and you have team members on board, guess what? Sometimes they have problems too. <laughs> and then not only are you solving the problems of the marketplace, you're solving the problems of your team members. And so, you know, the true nature of being a, an entrepreneur, it means that you are just a problem solver across the board. You know, you've got to solve the problems of the market, the problems of your running your business, and, you know, and you've got to solve the problems of, of your team members. And, and typically, as you, if you have three people in your team, you know, and then all of a sudden someone comes in and, and they start irritating and their irritation, let's say it's a wrong hire, all of a sudden, it's not just one problem, Brian, is it? <laughs> it's magnified to the entire team. You know, all of a sudden, you've got one person who's causing a bit of a headache for people, and all of a sudden, the four other people, if it's just that, are all coming to you saying, like, this person's going on. So all of a sudden, more problems and more weight is applied to your shoulders. So the whole idea around the entrepreneurial gravity is that, um, you know, you've, you've got to be good at solve, problem solving, but also you've got to be selective around which problems you solve. And that comes back to the strategy that you deploy from the beginning. And you can be very efficient to make sure that you, um, you know, I'm not sure if you heard the concept, uh, Brian, dis decision makers for tea or decision making for tea. Have you heard of that before? No, I haven't. No. It's a whole concept around uh, that, the, that consistently we have to make so many decisions in our day. And, um, and so the, the, the more decisions you have to make, the by the end of the day your your ability to make those decisions you get fatigue like you sort of it's like you're running for example you run a marathon towards the second half that you start to get tired the first part you're 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 fresh and you're able to run it second half you start to get tired you get more fatigued so that's why people like steve jobs why they always wore, wore black or wore the same clothes is because they didn't have to make the decision around what bloody clothes they're going to wear in the morning a lot of oh. successful people do a lot of things like that where they just eliminate decisions in their world it's like, I get up, I eat this, I drink this, I wear that, I don't think about it, I just do it. That means that they've got more mental stamina for the bigger problems in their business. And That's so, fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it really a, a, I, had some, I had some very interesting, very successful friends of mine who actually studied this concept and it was very interesting and that's why Steve Jobs and a lot of successful entrepreneurs, they just wear the same clothes again. They don't have to think about it, you know. Right. Um, uh, and that's just a little, little example of it. But, you know, that's exacerbated when you go into a business. Instead of focusing on a micro niche, if you serve multiple niches, all of a sudden you've got to take on board more problems, more problems, more decision-making. Ah, and all of a sudden your, your, your decision-making, you're fatigued out by, you know, <laughs> morning tea. <laughs> and the tail end of the day is taking you three times, four times as long to make the same decision it would in the morning. And you're probably doing it, you know, twice as worse. So, but I, yeah, I, I love the way you guys have got your head around a lot of these situations and you express it so 
beautifully and so concisely. So there's some great little learnings there. I might say for listeners, by the way, um, the, the comment about suddenly, you know, um, when, it, when, it, when it hits the wall and uh, you've got so many decisions to make, you're so busy, you haven't got time to, to do what you'd like to do and you certainly is not living the lifestyle you thought you would have when you started a business. And this, this here, the entrepreneurial gravity really is part, I suppose, of what, of what uh, Dent and indeed us work mm. at is actually helping you simplify your business model so you're focused on a, a really laser narrowed niche and that's where we find sort of 70 percent of the businesses we work with they eliminate maybe 15 to 40 percent of their product range or their services mm. because they're doing exactly what you said they're, they're trying to cover too many areas and you just can't do it you just can't yeah. do it uh, so uh, just a quick example of that it works well it's paramount in a small business i could share you a ton of examples of this but there's one that stands to mind at the moment uh, and a real big business opposite end of the scale i don't know if you've read the book uh not it's not winning it's called leadership i think by jack welsh and he's oh, yes. the ceo of the 20th century um for general electric i don't know if you know his story or if the listeners do but essentially he came into general electric in I think it was the eighties, I believe it was. It would have been, I think. Yeah, yeah it was in the eighties. And at that time, they were in so many di- diversified industries. He and they were some legacy industries that they'd always been in. He came in and he just looked at it and just went, "Well, if we cannot be number one or two in any market, we're cutting it." Yeah. And basically, that meant that he trimmed back. Like it was, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was a staggering number. It was like you know, potentially forty to sixty percent of the industries that they were in. And this ruffled some huge feathers. And we go, what's going on? What's this guy doing? But what it meant is they could concentrate their energies and effort. And as a result of it, I mean, the numbers, they went from, uh, they were sort of like doing, I don't know, again, please don't quote me the numbers, but it was something around like the 5 billion to all of a sudden they had to 10 to 15 to 20 to 50 billion. And he became the CEO of the 20th century because of his ability to cut back what wasn't working and focus in on what they do. Um, yeah. And it's, it's so critical and particularly in the early stages of a business where time is your, your best asset, but don't, don't misuse it. Well, that's it. Because if you don't do it in the early stages, you misguidedly um, th- think you can solve the, the issue and it improves your cash flow. But the truth is you'll never get out. <laughs> it's exactly. as simple as that. So, you're spot on, Brian. It becomes confusing because later on when we say to a lot of clients who have been doing this for a number of years, they start niching, they get confused and go, oh, but oh, that means I'm going to say no to these clients. And it's a problem for these guys, but not for these problems. And, and there's a lot of fears and concerns around it. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another comment you, you've, you've made that, that I've read, I'd love you to expand on this a little bit for, for me as much as anyone else, uh, being mm. a bit selfish here, is, oh. is I've heard you say that y- your belief um, acts as your guiding force. Mm. Can you expand on that? Because I know that's something that you've you spent a lot of time sort of yeah. searching and working on. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So here's some interesting stats for you. They actually correlate very closely uh, in the UK as they do to here in Australia, because I've just come back from the UK where I spent the last 12 years. And, um, you know, in the UK, there's 767 businesses started every day. There's 5.5 million businesses in this country. In 1995, you had 250,000 businesses in 2017. There was 2.2 million businesses. So basically, we've had a, in the last 20 so years, we've had a tenfold increase in businesses. So what that means is, is that every market in, is more competitive than ever before. And particularly if you're in a traditional type of business, how do you stand out? 
And how do you go from being seen as a commodity where you compete on price versus decommoditizing yourself where you're competing on other things such as your value, but not just on your value as well, but also what if your story of your business and your career and everything that's led you up to this moment, which are some of the things that, that to your core, your beliefs and your values, what if those things became the ingredients that could allow you to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And really that's what we're talking about here when we talk about your beliefs becoming a guiding force, Brian, is that uh, we've got some, a, a great example of, uh, that comes to my mind. If you think about the industry of accountancy, okay, um, you know, probably not the sexiest industry in the world, okay, um, but, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of accountants, when you talk to them, they'll say, what do they do? Uh, what makes you different? I have great service, great value. You know, typical things you could imagine every, every accountant saying, I will save you lots of money with tax efficiency, da, 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 da. You could imagine almost every accountancy firm saying that. So we've worked with uh, a number of clients in this space, but one in particular that comes to mind was someone when they started, when our belief is that every business owner is standing on a mountain of value. But when you when, think, if you think about this concept, if you're, if you're climbing up a, a mountain and you get to the top of it and you go to a mountain range valley and you look over the valley and all you can see is other mountains and you're looking at them going, wow, look at that beautiful mountain over there. Look at that beautiful mountain over there. Wow, look at those guys over there. Often what happens is we're too close to our own value that we cannot see it. We don't appreciate it. We undervalue often those things that are closest to us. I'm just, just asked any spouse. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking exactly on those lines. You're quite right. Yeah, but, I've got no doubt of the value I get, but I'm, yeah. Yeah, anyway, we, we won't go there. Exactly, yeah. Uh, this is a PC show. Um, but no, so, uh, so essentially we all, we, all, we all suffer from the, the challenge of proximity bias, which is essentially we, we, um, yeah, anything that's too close to us, we undervalue and we underappreciate. But what we really have figured out is, is which is why we've had over 3,000 clients go through this process, is that when you start to take some time to step back from it and go, hang on, why am I doing this business? Why am I in this? Like, why did I do this? What was the thing that got me into business? What are some of my career highlights? Like, what was the catalyst that got me doing this in the first place? What are the things that make me most proud about my business that make me come to life? And those sort of things are the things that if you start to unpack those, and actually start to um, you know, promote those. They're the things that, that nobody else can copy because nobody else has your story. Nobody else, well, somebody might have similar beliefs, but they won't have the, the range of beliefs that you have and the way that you communicate them. And so the, the example that I, I was sharing about the accountancy firm is they came into this as, as a couple of people in an accountancy firm struggling to grow their business. And as a result of going through this process of really unpacking their beliefs, They've come out, you know, they come out with uh, the, the title that inspire life-changing accountants. Um, you know, they believe that the numbers are important, but that your family is, is number one. Um, and they really come out with this family approach, but only also an impact-giving approach. They believe that their businesses are designed to be instruments of good. They're actually part of Guy One Give One. Um, inspire Accountants is their name. Um, and, you know, Ben and Harvey, who, are, who head that business up, have just done an amazing job of aligning their business around their beliefs. And even to the point where every time they make a tax saving dollar for a business, they will actually contribute to, to provide one day of clean drinking water for somebody else in another part of the world. 
So now they, they did a challenge off the back of that for like what, a million dollar, a million day challenge. They did that inside. They, I think they set like four months for it. They did it inside three months and now provided over 7 million days of clean drinking water for their clients. And as a result of it, you know, they've just the positioning uh, and the direction that their, their beliefs had given them in their, in their business really sets, separates them and makes them stand out from, the, from any other accountancy firm that's out there. So that's an example of what I'm talking about when we talk about, you know, your, your beliefs act as your guiding force. Does that make sense, right. Brian? Absolutely. Look, and you sort of segued through, I guess, and my next question was how do you stand out in a competitive marketplace? But I think you've pretty much addressed that unless there's anything you want to add. No, um, I, I, I just think that the only thing I'd say is just take time to ask yourself those questions that I asked earlier. You know, why are you here? There is no mistakes in life. And often when people start asking this question, like, oh, I'm just doing it because I fell into it. I just did it. But it's like, no, that's why you're doing it now. You're too close to it. Step yeah. back, find out those things. Take the time to do that self-inquiry because I promise you that those are the things that once you really start to unpack that and share that, people buy into stories. They want to know about you. There's a powerful marketing term. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, Brian, or others have. It's called disclosure. And the, the idea of disclosure is that the more you share about you and your story, the more that people buy into you and it. And so people connect more with, uh, you know, if, if I was to ask you, Brian, with the most, some of the most iconic brands in the world, what would you say? What would be some of the top? Um, oh, Le Lever Brothers, uh, Lever Brothers, uh, Qantas. You look at others like uh, uh, McDonald's, Virgin. Yeah, um, I yep. suppose there's those sorts of people you go yep. through. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Apple typically comes up, Google, Facebook, right? So Virgin, as an example, why do we? Why is it so iconic? Because Richard Branson, every he's an iconic figure. Um, you know, Ronald uh, McDonald's, um, uh, Ray, uh, Ray Kroc, been Ray iconic Kroc. over the years. So people connect more with people than they do with brands often. And that's one of the biggest differentiators that a small business can do is that we don't, if you don't have an iconic globally known brand, then share your story, not just about you and, and your company and the success of it. Yes. Share that sort of stuff, but share about your beliefs, share about your philosophy, share about your values uh, and about why you're doing what you do. And those will be some of the things that nobody can copy and will, will people will buy into your story because they get to know it and learn about you and they'll start to really follow you for that. Well, wow, this is a wonderful segue. Uh, this is my next step. Here we are. You, you've, you've just walked into it beautifully. So uh, it's, not, it's, a, it's not a trap. You've asked a lot of questions and shared a lot of great information and lots of unique expressions and definitions. And I, that's what I love about, uh, about, about you guys overall. Um, so I think, you know, we've been pretty privileged to hear some, some profound thoughts which I think a lot of us will think are well worth exploring further. So for those of us who aren't familiar with key person of influence or KPI as it's known you know, yeah. internationally, can, can you give a bit of an overview of, of what KPI actually do for us, Mike? Sure, 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 sure. I mean, the long and short of it, Brian, is that we stumbled across this methodology uh, and in that uh, Daniel Priestley is the author of the book, Key Person of Influence, a business partner and original mentor of mine 15 years ago. And they said back then we were an events and promotion organization and we gave a company so much growth uh, in, here in Australia that they couldn't sustain it. We gave them a tenfold increase of their business, went from seven to eight figures in its, inside a year. And, and then basically we had the opportunity to then launch a few speakers into the UK market. 
And we didn't describe it like this at the time, but these people had a lot of influence. You know, they weren't chasing us. We were chasing them for their business. Um, and they had things packed out. Like they could stand up and do a presentation and, and get, you know, um, you know, influence hundreds of people to, to, to take the next step. They had book published content, loads of it that positioned them as the authority in the marketplace. They had a, a range of what we call product ecosystem, which is like a range of high value stuff that was highly scalable that were really sort of touched on the nerve points of, of the marketplace because they knew it so well. And they would lead them through to, a, a, you know, to some, some slightly smaller purchases that would then lead to like a core product purchasing, which is where we could then share in the spoils with. So they're very defined e product ecosystem that would get them known, liked and trusted at scale. And then they had a strong online profile. So if you Googled them and found, you know, and asked about who they were, they'd see a ton of video content and a ton of clients saying amazing things about working with them. And then finally, they'd also have a bunch of awards uh, that they'd won. And they'd typically bring to the table partnerships that could really leverage their trust at scale. So basically, that, that, those are the five sort of pillars that made it easy for us as events and promotion companies to promote these people. And it wasn't until the financial crisis hit in 2008, nine, and we were sort of licking our wounds and Dan's infinite wisdom, he went on to then figure out, if he, had, he realized that we needed to create our own intellectual property and he reflected on these people who had a lot of influence and he thought, well, hang on, if that's what makes it easy to promote them, and meet and lead you to the inner circle of your industry where clients are chasing you and you're controlling when you work and when you don't and so on. He said, what if we could show any business owner how to apply those five principles to get those same outcomes? And that was the premise eight years ago. Uh, that's when I stepped away to build the, what became Europe's largest LinkedIn training business. As you said before, I, I scouted across Europe and exited. And then I stepped back in to find out where the Dent organization was. And I was just incredibly impressed with the level of, um, you know, detail that goes into showing companies how to unpack that, their value, how to tap into that, that, that mountain of value, how they can then unpack it in the form of their influence in the form of assets and how they build out their business in each of those five areas, pitching, publishing, product profile and partnerships. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of success stories. We've got over a couple, I think it's up to a couple hundred client testimonial videos uh, on YouTube you can check out. Uh, through to now we've expanded into seven cities around the world. We've had 3,000 clients go through it and over 1,000 published authors and the methodology just works. And it's something I said, like great, some greatest things, you, you look back in hindsight, that's where the methodology came from. And so my role with it all is I actually head up the, the Queensland region for that. We've got Glenn Carlson who heads it up in New South Wales. Uh, we've got a team in Melbourne and then also different parts of this around the world as well. But that's essentially what we do is we show people how to stand out in crowded marketplaces um, because of the massive growth of businesses over the years. And, um, you know, we build a community of thriving entrepreneurs who really just kick goals, get results, and we work with them over a, an extended period of time. But we have a lot of sort of events on the front end where people can understand about these five levers of influence. They have things like scorecards and a book. I'd be happy if anyone wants to get in touch, I'd be happy to send them a copy of the book. Uh, and or we've got a digital scorecard. I think we can send out a link to that as well. But it's uh, keypersonofinfluence.com forward slash scorecard. Um, but yeah, that's sort of a bit about us. Uh, 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 brilliant. Thank you. Can you just repeat that address there for the scorecard, just for the convenience of people? Yeah, I, I, sure. will the, uh, I will put it into the copy of the... Yeah, uh, well. it's, a, it's a great way to assess yourself in terms of how well you, how strong your influence is in those five uh, areas, pitching, publishing, product profile, and partnerships, give you a score. Overall, give you a rating out of 100. Uh, it's a good thing to do now, but also to do it every six months to figure out how you've improved. And it gives you a 40-page report full of insights in terms of what you can do to improve. 
Uh, and so the scorecard on that is uh, the link to it is keypersonofinfluence.com forward slash scorecard. Okay, brilliant. Couldn't be simpler. Okay, that's lovely. So if people want a bit more information, that's the place to go. Um, yep. And no yeah. doubt on, on the website as well. So uh, look, uh, Mike Clark, been, uh, been lovely talking to you, really indebted to you for giving us so much time. And uh, it has been a privilege. And uh, I think that everyone that's listening will say it's been lovely to, to get to know you um, and indeed get to know you a little bit more if that's the case. So um, I suppose in, in running through, in closing, is there anything you'd like to add as a, an observation to conclude our, yeah. uh, our, our session, Mike? I, I would just leave you with the thought that building out your influence and going through from startup through to wilderness through to a lifestyle business it's not a time-based thing. It's not a rite of passage that you have to struggle through the wilderness. If you figure out how to create greater influence around the value that you create, that's where the spoils and the joys of business come from. Um, so just uh, the one last message I'd say is, is that get clear in terms of what, your micro niche, figure out who you serve and why you serve and figure out, you know, the why around your business, you know, the intersects. They've had more time to explain about that, but the things that make you, you, unpack that in the form of assets, digital assets, you know, digital, digital things that do the heavy lifting and, and replace the, you needing to exchange your time for that. Um, and, you know, and just keep moving the needle uh, towards moving close to that. Cause that's where all the spoils of business are in when you have unpacked your influence uh, out there in the marketplace. And, you know, I just want to say congratulations for being an entrepreneur. It can be a, a tough game at times. I, you know, I've been there all shapes and sizes and, um, you know, be brave with what you're doing. Our values are be brave, have fun and make a dance. Um, you know, so I applaud anybody who's got the balls to get out there and run their business. Um, if anything I can do to help you, I said, if you want a copy of the book, I'd be happy to send you a, a physical copy of the book. I'd be happy to give that as a gift just because of our relationship, Brian. Or if you want to take the scorecard, do that. But, you know, thank you for your time. I know how valuable it is. And I just hope you've been able to gain at least one, two or a few things that have been able to make a tangible impact. And if so, I'd, my question would be to you, what are you going to put into practice by when? Yeah, 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 what and when. Um, generous offer of the book. Um, so how could they get that? Is that going to go to the website or, or should yeah, they, uh, I mean, you, or? I'll, I'll send my email. My email is Mike, M-I-K-E dot Clark, C-I-A-R-K at dent.global. It'll be in the email thread that goes out. Um, you know, send me an email, get in touch with me on LinkedIn or any of the socials and just give me a postal address. We'll send out a copy for you. Magic. Fantastic. Well, Mike, thank you very much indeed. So everyone, this is Brian King from Franchise Simply. I've had a delightful time talking to Mike Clark from KPI and uh, signing off, looking forward to being with you when we have our next uh, guest on our next Franchise Radio Show.